Hey, welcome to First Baptist Online. My name is Steve Polk, executive pastor here at the church, and we're excited to have you join us uh, today for this message from our pastor. We continue to want to help parents as you guide your family, lead your children. And so today we're looking at the best ways to help our kids, the second part of a four-part series, and looking at 2 Kings chapter 17. So I want you to grab your Bible, uh, grab a notepad and a pen and get ready to take some notes. This is a very practical uh, practical message today, just looking through the Old Testament uh, in some areas to help us as parents to do our job more effectively. I think everybody who is a parent wants to do a great job. They set out to do that. And we're going to give you some help to do it. Here's a secret that I'll share with you as we get into this, maybe as a way to get you to, to lock in. The role of the parent is a critical job in the spiritual development of your children. I bet you that's not a shock to you. Secondarily, we're also the most influential uh, voice and influential person in our kids' lives when it comes to uh, spiritual leadership. So really lock in today. Uh, this is a sermon to challenge you and encourage you and to help you grow as a parent, but also to invest in your kids. So let's pray together as God moves and the Holy Spirit speaks. God, we thank you for your word that you're so practical throughout all of scripture to our life today. So even today, when we talk about parenting in the 21st century, that even in the Old Testament, you could give us principles, you could give us things that would help us be effective in our leadership of our home and as we lead our children. Lord, that as parents, as we listen today, that we would be able to make notes and, and see ways that we can improve. That we would also see places where we can be encouraged in ways that, uh, that we can glorify you in our home and our relationship with our kids. It is all about the next generation. And so today, Lord, I pray you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Mateus was an eight-year-old boy who lived on his grandfather's ranch in Brazil. One day he was playing with some friends near a creek when he was attacked by a 16-foot-long anaconda. It uh, bit him on his chest, pulled him down to the ground, and wrapped around him in an attempt to suffocate him. And his friends, when they saw that, ran to tell the grandfather, and the grandfather hurried to Mateus and with a rock and a knife. He kept beating on that anaconda until he eventually killed it and saved his grandson's life. Mateus was taken to the hospital and he required 21 stitches to uh, fix the, the wound in his chest where he was bitten, but, but he survived. Parents and grandparents want to do everything we can to protect our children because we know there are so many risks, so many dangers they face, so many bad influences. And as followers of Christ, not only do we want to protect them from those bad influences and protect them from all of those dangers, we want to invest in them. We want to build them up and, and teach them how to love Jesus, how to follow Jesus so that when they are teenagers, when they're adults, they love Jesus, they are disciples of Christ and they remain committed to Him and faithful servants of the, of, of the church. And so in this sermon series for a few weeks, we're talking about the better ways, the best ways we as parents can help our kids not only grow up well, but grow up loving Jesus and continue loving Jesus when they are adults. And foundational, foundational to all the teaching I'm doing these weeks in this series is a biblical principle that what one generation does influences, shapes 
the next generation. The Bible makes it really clear that parents matter and they matter a lot. They have a big impact. In fact, the number one influence on their kids. And that impact can be for good or unfortunately for bad. Now, yes, it's true that kids have free will and they make choices. And when they become teenagers and young adults, they can make bad choices and parents can do a great job and love Jesus and kids can make bad decisions and not love Jesus. But the number one, the number one influence in kids' lives shaping who they become as adults are their Parents, when God was giving the Ten Commandments to Moses and the Hebrew children in the book of Exodus chapter 20, after telling them they were not to have any idols, serve any other gods, but worship the Lord their God only, he said to them in verse 5 of Exodus 20, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity, the sin of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations. Now, does that mean that when a parent sins or an adult sins that, that God sometimes judges kids? It can mean that, that, that children can suffer the consequences of their parents' sins. But it's also a reference to the biblical principle that God's judgment, God's judgment sometimes is simply allowing us to experience the ramifications, the natural outcomes, the consequences of our choices, of our sin. And those roll down on our children and grandchildren. As we mentioned last week, there are generational issues that children face on in, in so many areas of life. That can also be true spiritually. And, and I want us to begin by looking at a, another story in the Old Testament that illustrates the role of parents and their influence on kids. How one generation affects the next generation, not only in their economic life, not only in, in how stable the society is, but in their children's spiritual life. So I invite you to open your Bible to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 17. Now, just by way of background and setting the stage for what we're going to read, Joshua had led the Hebrew children into the promised land. They had conquered it, and now Canaan, Palestine, the promised land, it was their home. But 470 years later, five centuries into the future, Israel would go through a civil war and divide into two nations, the northern kingdom called Israel, sometimes referred to as Samaria, and the southern kingdom of Judah. 200 years or two centuries after that civil war, the northern kingdom of Samaria or Israel was destroyed because they lost a war with an invading army called the Assyrians. And the Assyrians not only conquered the northern kingdom, carrying most of the citizens away as slaves, resettling them in other parts of the world, and then brought people they had conquered from other places to Israel, to Samaria, to the northern kingdom, and resettled them there. And that's where we pick the story up in 2 Kings chapter 17. And you're going to see the principle that what one generation does shapes the next, not just economically, not just politically, but spiritually. In 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 6, we read this. In the ninth year of Hoshea, Hoshea was the king of the northern kingdom of Samaria, or Israel. 
in, the, in his ninth month, so he was a young king, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and carried the people away into, into exile to Assyria and settled them in these different places. So that's what I was referring to a moment ago. They lose this war. The nation's destroyed. It will never, listen, it will never exist as a nation again. And the citizens, the inhabitants, the Jews of the north are deported and settled elsewhere. Now, why did this happen? Verses 7 and 8. Now, this came about because the sons of Israel, the Jewish people in the northern kingdom, had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up from the land of Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. They had forgotten all God had done and turned their back on him. They had started worshiping and serving other gods. They had sinned against God. It's not that they had totally abandoned the God of Israel. You'll discover they did not totally abandon him, but they, they, they watered down their religion. They watered down their faith and mixed it with other religions. He says in verse 8, And they walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel. So they, 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 they adopted the customs and the culture of those who were not followers of, of their God. And so God judged them. Now, now listen, this did not begin. This did not start with the generation that was alive when they, called, when, when they lost the war with Assyria and were carried away as slaves. That's not when it started. Their parents were guilty of this same sin. Their grandparents had been guilty of this same sin. It had been a generational issue. In chapter 17, if you'll look with me at verse 13, he says, Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah, that's the southern kingdom, through all of his prophets. God sent prophets to them time and time again to tell them to repent and get serious about their faith, serious about their relationship with God, and they did not listen, did not obey and it happened generation after generation after generation. Look at verse 14. However, they did not listen but stiffened their neck like their fathers, like the generations before. Verse 15, they rejected his statutes and his covenant. So generation after generation was guilty of the very same thing. Now look with me at verse 18. And so the Lord was angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. None was left except the tribe of Judah. So after that, after that war with Assyria, the northern kingdom ceased to be. The Jewish people in that part of Israel, the northern kingdom, Samaria, they were carried off. Only the poorest of the poor were left. The southern kingdom of Judah was the only nation that survived. So most of the Jewish people are gone now, carried to other places, as slaves, it's a tragedy in the history of the Hebrew people. And then you go down to verses uh, 23. Toward the end of verse 23, it says, So Israel was carried away into exile from their own land to Assyria until this day, the day that the book of Kings is written. Verse 24, The king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and other places and settled them in the cities of Samaria in place of the Jews who had lived there. And that's the people who lived there when Kings was written. That's the people who were living there in the New Testament era when Jesus was teaching. So here's the scene. You, you have in the northern kingdom of Israel, in the, in the kingdom of Samaria now, you have people from several different nations who are living there. 
Maybe a, a few, a small remnant of the poorest of the poor, the Jewish people living there, but it's mostly pagans, if you will. It's mostly Gentiles who are now living there. And the Assyrians sent one Jewish priest back to Samaria to teach the people who were now living there about the Jewish customs and the Jewish religion. And the result was that these Gentiles now living in the north, now living in Samaria, mixed their own native religion with some of the traditions and customs that this Jewish priest taught them about Judaism. We call that syncretism, where you mix different religions, you mix different philosophies, you mix different belief systems, and you create one that you like. That's what they were doing in Samaria. And at the end of chapter 17, they were still doing that when he wrote the book of Kings. He says in the middle of verse 41, their children likewise and their grandchildren as their fathers did, so they do to this day. One generation to the next. And the point the Bible is making is that what the older generation does in large measure shapes the generations to come politically, economically, militarily, but brothers and sisters, hear me, it also shapes the generation to come spiritually. It's the biblical principle that parents matter, that we have a huge, a massive influence on our kids' future, on their lives, on their spiritual lives. And you and I need to hear that. So, if that is true, the question we're asking and answering is this. What do we do? How do we help our kids? Not just grow up and be athletes, not just grow up and get an education, not just grow up and make a living. How do we help them grow up and love Jesus Christ? Be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Stay true and faithful to him and serve him in the church and make a difference for the kingdom of God as they serve people in the community. How do we do? So, so in this series of sermons, some of the better ways, the best ways we can help our kids. Last week we talked about two things, setting a good example for our kids of what real discipleship looks like and then being teachable, allowing the Word of God to teach you, allowing me as a pastor to teach you, allowing those who have come before to teach you. You need to be teachable and then you need to set a good example for your kids, not just what it means to go to church, not just what it means to call yourself a Christian, not just what it means to say, I got saved, but to be a real disciple of Jesus who is growing and on fire and serving him. Set an example and be teachable. Today I want to look at two more practices, two more ways we can help our kids, and these will deal with our spiritual life. Next Sunday we'll look at two additional ways to help our kids, and they will deal with our family life, our family relationships. And then in the last message, what do you do 
When, when you, you do your best, okay? You do your best. You love Jesus. You serve Jesus. You are a true disciple, and you do your best to invest in and teach your kids to love Jesus, but they grow up as teenagers or young adults and turn their back on Jesus anyway. What do you do? Because parents are not always at fault. You can be a godly parent, a loving parent, a good parent, and your child still turn his or her back on Jesus. How do you deal with that? What do you do to help them when that happens? We'll talk about that in the last message. But today, two more ways we help our kids grow up to love Jesus, and these will deal with our spiritual life. Number three, are you ready? We looked at two last week. Here's the third way. Parents who help their children, listen, intentionally aim the heart and life of their child in the direction of Jesus Christ. Intentionally aim the heart and life of their children in the direction of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament book of Psalms, Psalm 127, we read this in verses 3 and 4. Behold, he says, children are a gift of the Lord, the fruit of the womb. It's a reward. Verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. God is saying that your children are like an arrow and you're going to shoot it. You're going to aim it. It's going to go in a certain direction. It's going to go in a certain distance. The challenge is to be intentional about that. Too often as parents, we are busy and we're stressed and we're trying to get by and we sort of kind of aim our kids hoping we hit the right target. But as disciples of Christ, as Christian parents, we need to do more than that. We need to be intentional when it comes to the direction we aim, not just the life, but the heart, the heart of our kids. And we need to aim them toward Jesus Christ. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 4, verse 4, the apostle Paul wrote this. He said, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but, notice this, bring them up, bring them up in the discipline or the nurture and admonition or instruction of the Lord. Bring them up means to nourish them to maturity. Just as many of you are working hard to nourish your children to educational maturity, to physical maturity, God is saying you need to work just as hard at nurturing your children to spiritual maturity, nurturing them to a mature love of Jesus Christ. Bring them up, nurture them in the Lord, he says, and in the discipline, in the discipline, or some Bibles translate it training. It's the word for tutoring. Sometimes when a child is struggling in school, you'll pay money to have someone tutor them in math, tutor them in science, tutor them in English. If you're into athletics, you'll pay money. I remember when our son was playing baseball, paying money to have someone work with him on batting. We tutor them. We train them. We want them to learn. And he says, as Christian parents, as disciples of Jesus, nurture your kids towards spiritual maturity and train them, tutor them. And then he says, in the instruction, or some Bibles say admonition of the Lord. That word means to call attention to, to point things out. 
But if I'm going to call attention to things that my kid needs to know if he or she is to love Jesus, I need to know what those things are. I need to know what to call their attention to. I need to know what to point out to them. And he says what we are to nourish them in, bring them up in, what we are to train or tutor them in, what we are to instruct or call attention to them in are the things of the Lord. The things of the Lord. That is the direction I am to aim the heart and life of my kids. Now notice, notice this. This is the duty of parents. This is the duty of parents. Churches try to do this and we help with this, but moms and dads are the ones who more than anyone else shape and aim the direction of children's hearts and lives. And Jesus Christ is saying in his holy word, Dad, that is your responsibility. That is your duty to aim the heart of your child in the direction of Christ. Now here's the thing. If I'm going to aim my child's heart in that direction, my heart has to be looking that way as well. I can't aim my child in a direction that I'm not looking. If I'm looking off to the side, if I'm looking backwards, if my heart is somewhere else, it's going to be really, really hard for me to aim my child's heart and life in that direction. We, we aim our kids toward the things we're passionate about the things we care about. I've mentioned over the years that when our son Stephen was born more than 30 years ago in Toomey Hospital in Sumter, South Carolina, I took a blue and white Kentucky basketball to the hospital and placed it in the bassinet with this newborn baby, took his picture, I have a copy of that, he has a copy of that, and I was aiming the heart of my son toward my beloved Kentucky Wildcats. When our first grandson, Liam, was born, I bought him all kinds of UK clothing. He's 11 years old. I still do that, turning him into a Kentucky Wildcat. And now our son, Stephen, has his little boy, uh, David, and uh, we're taking him to his first Kentucky basketball game. Uh, took him to see Kentucky and South Carolina play down in Columbia, and he has his Kentucky clothing, and he wears it because uh, we're aiming his heart in that direction. So now there's here's all these generations, me and my son and his son and my daughter's son, all aiming their heart toward the you know big blue. Why? Because I care about that. I'm passionate about that. And the same way, if you and I are passionate about Jesus, we aim our child's hearts that direction. But if we're not passionate, we don't. Whatever we care about, that's the direction we aim the lives and hearts of our kids. So what direction are you aiming the heart and life of your children? The third thing we do that is the best thing we can do for our kids besides setting an example of what it means to be a real disciple and being teachable so we can learn is we are intentional in aiming the heart and life of our child in the direction of Jesus Christ. Now here's the fourth thing, the last one we'll look at today. It's this, number four. Parents who help their children, now listen, parents who help their children actually teach and train their children how to be a disciple. 
In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, the Bible says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The word translated from the Hebrew, train up, in this passage, has two ideas or two meanings associated with it, if you will. One is to train your child life. It's like breaking a, a wild horse. Here's a horse that, that is not domesticated, and you need to break it of the wildness and train it to be a, a horse that someone can ride, a horse that can pull a plow, a horse that, 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 that isn't dangerous. So to train means to break to train how to do what they need to do. The second definition associated with this Hebrew word is the idea of dedicating or consecrating. It's like dedicating the temple in the Old Testament or dedicating a church to Jesus Christ. And so as dads and moms, we consecrate, we dedicate our kids to Jesus Christ, and then we break them and train them how to live out a life that is consecrated to the Lord. We intentionally teach and train our kids how to be a disciple. The Apostle Paul was writing to a young preacher that was one of his protégés is in our New Testament book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He said to this young man, Timothy, he said, You, however, Timothy, listen, continue in the things you have learned. Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. Know, now listen, knowing from whom, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood, from childhood, you have known the sacred writings. What's the sacred writings? It's God's Word. Timothy, you learn God's Word from childhood and that His truth, His Word that you learn from childhood is able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Continue in those things, Timothy, knowing. Notice he said, knowing from whom you have learned them. Who did Timothy in childhood learn the sacred writings, the Word of God from? Well, earlier in that same letter, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, when he says, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. Timothy, I know you have a real faith in Jesus, but it did not start with you. It first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. You have three generations, grandmother Lois, mother Eunice, and son, young preacher boy, Timothy. From childhood, his mom, from childhood, his grandmother taught him the sacred writings of God that he became convinced of in his own heart and it gives him wisdom that leads to salvation and the ability to keep loving Jesus and serving Jesus. But it was his home where he learned it. It was his family that taught it to him. It was his Christian mom. It was his godly grandmother. He learned from them. Now listen, if you're going to teach your children, you're going to teach your son or your daughter and train them how to be a disciple, guess what? You have to be one. <laughs> you can't train them to do what you don't know how to do. You can't teach them to be what you are not. 
And so it begins with you. Remember, setting an example, setting an example last Sunday of what it really means to be a real disciple of Christ. If I'm going to pass it on, if I'm going to teach them, I need to know it and experience it on, in, in my own life. And if I'm going to teach them the sacred writings, I have to be learning the sacred writings. If I never read the Word of God, how can I teach them? If I don't spend time in His Word, how am I going to help them have a love for His Word? To help my kids become growing disciples, I need to be a growing disciple myself. We have a dad in our church here at First Baptist Rock Hill. And some time ago, he realized that he had never been consistent in his Bible reading. And he became burdened about it. God spoke to his heart and convicted him and he felt guilty. And so he picked up a copy of our annual Bible reading plan here at First Baptist that, that many of you are following. And he began reading the Bible and following that plan. He gave it a try. And he, and he said after about six months, God was changing his heart. He was having more joy. God was, listen, he said God was working in his life in a way that he had never experienced before. Why? Because he was spending time with God in the sacred writing, in the scripture, in the word of God. And after he realized how much different he felt and how much joy he had and how God was working in him and changing him, he wanted his son his son to have the same experience. And so he discussed it with his son and asked him if he would like to read the Bible and the son agreed. And so he picked up a copy of the Bible reading plan and gave his son his own copy and the little boy, the boy started reading God's word. And every morning, listen to this, every morning on the way to school, dad and son started discussing God's word started discussing the chapter they had each read for that day. And in time, his son started to grow. In time, his son's spiritual life started to just blossom, if you will, and they started talking more and more about Jesus and more and more about the Bible and, and God's Word. And now his son is asking him questions like, what, what does this verse mean in, 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 in this overall section? Uh, or, or dad, how do, how do, how do I share my faith with my, with my two friends at school? And when I, when I heard this dad and this son's story, I was so blessed and so excited because he now gets it and is giving to his son his best more than he was before. But it started with his own walk with Jesus and his own spiritual growth. And brothers and sisters, that's how it's going to start with you as well. I encourage you to go to our website if you have not done so already and print out our Bible reading plan. It's on our social media platforms and to read God's Word five chapters a week, one chapter a day, five days a week, and then journal about it. What did God say to you? What did you learn? How did he speak to you? And how are you going to respond? You can watch the videos that I release Monday through Friday, one each morning at 5 a.m., where I just share some things from God's Word about the chapter we're reading for that day. You begin growing so you can help your kids. We also have a, a list of resources, online resources, that we can make available to you to help you as a parent 
know how to invest spiritually in your kids. If you'll email us here at FBC, at FBC Rock Hill, the email address is on the screen. We'll be glad to send you that electronically so then you can go to these websites and learn more about how to spiritually invest in your child. I hope this has been helpful. I look forward to sharing with you more truths in the days to come about how to be the best helper you can be for your kids. God bless you. I'll see you next Sunday.